Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast for the week of January 29th, 2023. And just before we uh, hit record, we were talking about what should our banter be at the beginning, what should our small talk be, and we came up with zero. Yeah. We should just record our conversation about what the banter should be. But that probably yeah, should be it. That we talk could about, do it. About braces and <laughs> yeah, you know, we we should we should do small talk about small talk about that. Well, let's talk about braces. No, that's a great idea. So, oh, okay. Marissa, your daughter just got braces. Yeah. Okay. And how how's that gone? Well, the first couple of days were really rough, and I said the words, "It's going to get better. I promise." Like a million times. Okay. Um, mm. Until I was sick of hearing my own voice. But Wednesday was good. Um, she is in an improv drama class after school. This is my 12-year-old daughter. And uh, she got punched in the face, which oh. <laughs> is like how oh. often does a Accid- 12-year-old girl... Accidentally or on purpose? Well, they were doing a scene. Improv. And uh, she like faked a punch to her scene partner. And then the scene partner punched her in the mouth mm. for real. So Oof. it's like, oh my goodness, what are the odds? And to have that happen two days after you get braces. Yeah, that happened. So she thought she was bleeding and then realized that it actually cut the girl's hand. So Serves her right. Kind of brutal. That's but right. a good story for her to tell later on. Well, mm. and I, I share with Marissa, this is not something you want to tell your daughter. So if she listens to this podcast, tell her to turn it off right now. But <laughs> Addie, when, turn it off. When, when I got braces, um, I, there are all these horror stories about boys and girls getting their braces locked together when they were kissing. So I said, that's it. Until I get braces off, I'm never kissing a girl. I'd be horrified by that. Now, I never knew anybody that that directly happened to, but it was, <laughs> it must have been an urban legend. I don't know if that mm. actually happened. Yeah. Right in. Yeah. Right in. If this happened to you. Right in. We want to know. <laughs> but also looking back, I really didn't have any opportunity to kiss girls. So I think it was more about me just, like you said, controlling the narrative. <laughs> mm. I'm not kissing until I get braces off. Well, never had the chance. Wow. So there you, there you saved go. yourself. There you go. <laughs> I never had braces. My kids, I think, are going to have to have braces. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, good luck. Cross that <laughs> cross that bridge with a lot of money, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I know. Boy, yeah. whoo, start saving now. I need every penny. Get some dental insurance. That's right. And then on top of that, we'll save for college, which is a whole other thing that's going out of control. That's a bridge to nowhere. All right, so let's jump in. Here's our text. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, and I'm, I'm just going to read some selective parts of this. And we're dealing with that question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? So here's the unique thing why I chose Acts chapter 20. It's not unusual that Paul gives a speech in the book of Acts. He does that several times. But this is the only speech to which he is addressing it directly to Christians. Mm-hmm. Every other time he's talking to uh, pagans or non-Christians or people that need to be converted. These, This is the already converted, the already convinced. And so as I was preparing this teaching series, I thought, well, if the Holy Spirit has something to say to our church, who is a church leader that spoke to the church? And the Holy Spirit was obviously speaking through Paul. This is scripture. So I think we should just eavesdrop a little bit mm. and say, what, what would the Holy Spirit say to our church as Paul spoke to the church at Ephesus? Mm-hmm. So let me just read a couple of paragraphs or read a paragraph we'll discuss, read another paragraph. And, and again, let's look at through the lens of what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church. So just so you know, Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He knows that that probably will not end well. Uh, and there's a lot of debate about, you know, was this the trip that would ultimately lead to his execution? There's a lot of you know, uncertainty about this, but we know he's going to Jerusalem. He knows it's going to be difficult. He knows this is the last time that he will meet the Ephesian leaders. By the way, Wednesday night, we're doing a study on the book of Ephesians, you know, and this Mm -hmm. is a great opportunity to see some of the follow-up to what Paul wrote, wrote to them. 
So uh, it says in verse 17 of chapter 20 from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, and when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time that I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of all my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So, as we look at this paragraph, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Paul is talking to the leaders at Ephesus, and he's talking about how he would lead. In fact, he gives three characteristics, and in the message, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit on these for a while. Great humility, tears, and testing. You've seen the way that I've lived. So, let's throw it out to you guys. You know, we talk about what's the Holy Spirit saying to our church. What do you think the Holy Spirit would say to the leaders of our church, uh, the leaders of our community group, our, our staff? You know, from what Paul says about leadership here, what characteristic do you think that we need to lean in and listen to? I don't know if I'm catching you off guard or not. <laughs> so I'll dive in first. I, I think as I read this passage now, I, I come with a bit of with a bit of a bit, bit of an angle in particular because uh, I'm passionate about seeing people far from God know Jesus. But I see Paul's hunger that people would know Jesus. He, he says in verse 20, verse 21, you know, I, I didn't preach anything other than what was taught publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance. And there's a brokenness. There's, there's a sense of even having tears over lost people, over sharing the gospel with lost people, and over having them know who Jesus is. And so I think part of what I would say to our leaders is, let's pray, let's engage, let's dive deep into the sense that while we exist to encourage each other, we exist for more than just what's inside these walls. There's a whole world of people. A 2018 study before COVID, TMBN did, found that 82% of Tulsans don't go to a church on a Sunday morning. 80, that means only 18% do. So in a million, of a million people, over 800,000 people aren't involved in church. That's significant. Why don't we pray for those? Yeah, and the conception that we live in the Bible Belt and everyone has a church and everyone knows Christ, that's just, that's an antiquated thought. That just doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Marissa? That reminds me of Flannery O'Connor. He says that, you know, uh, the South is not Christ-centered, but it's Christ-haunted. I think that really applies to oh, I love Flannery O'Connor. I know that's a good uh, quote. But uh, so it's it's not that uh, it's the Christian faith is haunting us, but it's not a living, vibrant thing that's Agreed. important to us. Um, I really appreciate that these are the last words that that Paul spoke to the Ephesians face to face. That this was the last time he saw them. Um, the last words are so very powerful, and I just imagine uh, the 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 sense of responsibility that Paul had in these words. You know, he wrote them letters later on, but there's something about speaking face-to-face. These are people that he had spent two to three years with, and the most exciting part of his ministry was in Ephesus, and he did all these fantastic, great miracles, but he doesn't talk about the miracles. He's not like, remember the great times we had together? Remember when we saw people come back to life? (laughs) He he doesn't reminisce, does he? No, he says, remember the words that I taught you of Jesus. Remember the truth that I told you. Um, there's a, a, this relinquishing of control that had to have been incredibly difficult for him. 
Um, it was this acknowledgement that he'd no longer be able to guide them and advise them in the same way that he had. And he had to trust God to continue that work in them, he had to commit them to God. Um, and, and for the hearers, there's this desperation to grab and hold on to the words that he had. So he no, knew the weight of what he was going to say to them. Um, you know, they knew that they'd never see Paul or, or hear his voice again. Um, they would no longer have his guidance in the same way. Um, so this was his guide for their future and their way forward. Um, I think about, um, no, to preface this, my dad is alive and well today. Good. <laughs> but uh, a few years ago, he had major heart surgery. And nothing my dad does is uh, is uh, spontaneous. He, he is very deliberate and intentional in everything he does. He plans everything. He spends hours at his laptop typing up arguments and, and things that he's going to say to you. And this was no different. Um, he, the night before he went into the hospital, he spent hours just trying to decide what his final words would be to his kids. Hmm. Mm. Um, what he would say to us to reassure us that he loved us, that he was proud of us. He said a lot of things that were hard for us to hear, but necessary. Um, and I'm very, very glad that that's not the last conversation that we had, but I'm really glad that those conversations happened. Um, so when I was reading through this passage, I just thought, you know, think about in your community groups, what you would say to your own children, to your spouse, to your friends, to those you lead, if it was the last time they were going to see each other, um... And what's the message of your life? What, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Say it. Say it again. Say it again and again. Um, as, as I look at these words, I'm, I'm struck, and we'll spend some time on the word humility, um, especially in in a culture where we are Christ haunted. Christians tend to be very proud, prideful. Mm-hmm. Let me say it that way. And the fact that Paul points out, I, I tried to lead with a great sense of humility. Um, I, I'm reading right now through a, a study on pastoral longevity. Because uh, I want to be in ministry, and I want to thrive in ministry. I want to flourish in ministry, to use the words of the study. But one of the uh, the keys to flourishing in pastoral ministry is, is for a pastor or for any leader to have humility. And the way the author defines humility, I love this phrase, he talks about as having a quiet ego. Hmm. We all have an ego, all right? And mm-hmm. so sometimes our ego gets pretty loud. I know mine does. But to always keep a, a, a hand on that on that knob and turn it down and have a quiet ego. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? This is not about me. This is about your kingdom. And Paul reflected on that as well. Mm-hmm. So then Paul, in the next paragraph uh, that we're going to skip over, he said, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. There's going to be hardships. My life is not worth anything but, but to sacrifice it to Christ. Then he picks up in verse 25. And again, we're listening to this through the lens. Paul is speaking to a group of Christians. I think he is speaking to them as inspired by the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Let's eavesdrop in. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. These are my last words. I'm sure Paul typed them up on a laptop somewhere. <laughs> Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Uh, that's an image from Ezekiel where Ezekiel talks about a watchman on the wall. And if a watchman falls asleep and the enemy attacks, he's responsible for the death of those he was supposed to protect. So here Paul is saying, I, I've declared to you the urgency of this. And if you didn't respond, that's, that's kind of on you. But I've given you the message that I need to. Verse 27 is key. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Therefore, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, which he bought 
with his own blood. We'll stop there. We'll pick up on the rest of that paragraph here in just a minute. But I'm, I'm intrigued by this phrase, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. What does that mean? And before this recording, I sent you all kind of the direction that I'm going with mm-hmm. in the message. But before we get there, what, what does that mean to declare the whole will of God? Because the Holy Spirit is saying something to our church. This is what we ought to do. We ought to declare, we ought to make known, we ought to message the whole will of God. Let's unpack that for a bit. What you got? The whole will of God is not necessarily all of, you know, all complete world knowledge or everything about God. Um, they only had three years together. That'd yeah. be impossible. <laughs> he, he, he couldn't cover it at all. Yeah. But it's not just the comfortable parts. Um, it's not just the things about God's love and beauty and acceptance um, and the reconciliation of his errant children, you know, all the things that we really enjoy and bring us comfort, but the difficult parts about living up to his standard, um, uh, righteousness, obligation we have to each other and to the world. It's the full and complete picture of God's will and character. Um, it, it just reminds me, we talked a couple weeks ago about Bonhoeffer's call uh, uh, to preach a costly grace, not a cheap grace. That's right. Um, and just the responsibility of that. Uh, God put a burden on Paul's heart for the people of Ephesus. And when he says that, you know, he's innocent of their blood, that sounds a very, very dramatic. But it just means that, you know, God gave me this burden and I fulfilled my responsibility to you. I told you the complete gospel. I told you the costly gospel, the real gospel, the gospel that'll give you stability and is rooted in truth. And I lived up to that, and and that's that. I just have to commit you to God. I've mm-hmm. I've fulfilled mm-hmm. my purpose. I've done what He told me to do, and now the rest is up to you. It's almost the Second Timothy two two moment where where Paul has where he's having this conversation with the Ephesians. He's telling them, "I've done my part in sharing mm-hmm. everything there is about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and His role in your lives ongoing." I have in verse. 21, I've declared it. Verse 24, I've testified. Uh, Verse 25, I've preached about the kingdom of God. It's almost like he's saying, now it's your turn. Mm -hmm. It's your turn to step up to the plate. You know that God's will... I've shared it with you enough times that you know that God's will is not that you hold on to it yourselves and that's all it is and it dies with you. I was the watchman. I was the one doing stuff. It's your turn to step up to be the watchman. It's your turn to step up and start proclaiming and sharing. That's exactly what he says. He says, watch over yourself and then watch over the flock as well. Mm -hmm. You've got that responsibility. And if you want to know more about what he said to the Church of Ephesus, that complete word of God, come on Wednesday nights. There you go. To the Ephesians study. That's exactly (laughs) right. Well, and so um, if, if I were teaching this in a community group, I would take verse 27 and I would just ask that question. What does that mean, the whole will of God? And, and let people explore, let them unpack that. Let, you know, there's, we, we have a little bit of interpretation to do there and, and imagining. Where I'm going to go with it in the message, if I think about the whole will of God, I think about Jesus. God reveals who He is. He not only reveals who God is, but He reveals who, who humanity can be in a relationship with God. He is, Jesus is humanity as humanity was intended to be. And so then I reflect, well, if Jesus is the whole will and the whole word of God, what does that mean? And that's where I go to the the passage in John chapter 1. Of all the words John could have used to describe Jesus, he said Jesus was full, just as John 1, 14, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I think about the whole will of God as being a balance between those two things. 
as a church, we should proclaim the truth, and as a church, we should embody grace. And anytime we tip toward one side or the other, um, we we step into error. And what I'm going to do is I will uh, I'll reference this book the Sunday that I teach this. But if you want to jump get a jump start start on this little book by Randy Alcorn. I haven't read a whole lot of Randy Alcorn. He's a he's a good writer, just not read a whole lot of his stuff. But I was given this book a few years ago by a friend of mine who said, I think every Christian ought to read this book. And after reading it, I go, I agree. <laughs> now, I also like it because it's really short. You could read it literally in about 45 minutes. It's called The Grace and Truth Paradox. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read two quotes from this book briefly, and then let's explore grace and truth just a bit. Uh, he says this in the, in the opening in chapter 1, Truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism. Truth without grace breeds self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. But grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. Well, there's a lot to really ingest there. As, as I've been writing this message, I've been trying to keep all this in balance. One more quote, and this is toward the end of the book. If we minimize grace, the world sees no hope for salvation. But if we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. I think that's my favorite quote of the book right there. And that's why as we, as we proclaim the whole truth of God, uh, the whole word of God, excuse me, then we need to proclaim that truth exists, but also that grace exists as well. So um, as a denomination, do you think we lean toward truth or grace? Let's talk about Southern Baptist for just a minute. Do <laughs> there's some uncomfortable smiles in the room right now. I'll dive right in those waters. I won't <laughs> hesitate since I'm uh, maybe an outsider coming in, an insider coming out. I don't know. I don't know how, how to how to fit that quite in, since I have a, a varied background coming into baptistic life. You're um, a theological mutt, is what you mean? <laughs> yes, I, I'm a little bit of a theological mutt with all kinds of formations from my childhood that, that informed who I am, but that's a good thing, I believe. Agreed. At the end of the day, Jesus Agreed. needs to be the center of that. Um, within the Southern Baptist tribe, I think it's really true of almost every denomination, of every Jesus follower throughout history. There's this, this pull on every one of us as followers of Jesus that, that tends to want to measure what does it really mean to be a good follower of Jesus. And if we can just measure it enough... Then, then that means we're good enough. And so if you can check enough boxes to define what that means, are we reading the Bible enough? Are we praying enough? Are we doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G? And, and before you know it, you have this, this scorecard that we're following instead of following the relationship with Jesus. Based on that, based on what I see floating around the tribe, there's this pursuit of knowledge, there's this pursuit, those are holy pursuits, um, pursuit of making sure that we, make, we follow the checklists and we, we look good on the outside. What leaves us behind is we've pursued truth at the sake of grace. Yeah. Uh, whether it's true or not, I think our denomination has a reputation for being pretty narrow or mm -hmm. legalistic. Now, we can't control perception. All we can do is determine what our character will be, mm -hmm. but I think there is perception out there. Marissa, what do you think? I think it's just the, the, the real sense of responsibility that come from passages like this to not be wolves in sheep's clothing, not to divert people from the path. There's um, now don't dodge my question and a about fear. Baptist. No, because uh, we talked about this, and I would refer back to the, the conversation we had last week about just a fear of grace. 
that mm. I see in our denomination. Yes. Um, that um, that we fear that if we make grace too big of a concept in our theology, in our daily lives, that that will uh, cause us to devolve into kind of a sin first, ask for forgiveness later kind of mentality. And that will uh, keep us from being as as set apart, as sacred, as righteous as, as we should be. Um, I think that's a misunderstanding of that grace. I think, um, but uh, it comes from a place of, oh, we just, we want to do this thing correctly. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't disparage our, <laughs> our stricter, more legalistic uh, brothers and sisters that, but, um, but it's that whole thing that we've talked about before about uh, the dual obligation to love God and his righteousness and pursue his righteousness and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And those things have to go hand in hand. Um, those who are more legalistic need to remember to love your neighbor as yourself, to be compassionate, to be filled with grace, and to remind people of Jesus' and God's grace. And those who um, err more on or find it easier to love their neighbor and um, to be more accepting and to preach acceptance and God's love, to remember that righteousness is also so important. Yeah. So I want to talk about Southern Baptist here for just a moment because I'm not against denominations. If you think about uh, denominations in terms of a house, okay, and I'm comfortable living in my house, you know, Mm -hmm. and other people are comfortable living in their house. So a denomination is kind of a home for people with certain subtleties in theology and whatever. So I'm not against denominations. What I don't like is denominationalism Mm -hmm. that says my house is the only right one, okay? And if, if everyone would just really follow Jesus, everyone would, would live in my house. Well, that that's not, uh, I don't think that's true at all. And David, as you said, it's about following Jesus, not about following a denomination. Mm-hmm. That being said, our church is in the house of Southern Baptist, okay? That's, that's the house that we're comfortable in. Do we necessarily agree with everything going on? No. Uh, but I feel like I'm not critical of Southern Baptist, but I am one. So if I am one, then I have a voice to say, hey, I think we're, we're on base here. I love what we do in missions. I think we excel in a lot of areas. Also, I think we have a lot of work to do. And I think we do gravitate a lot toward truth at the expense of grace. And uh, now we can also go too far with grace at the expense of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I'll, I'll explore in the message is grace never calls wrong right. Hmm. And that's that's a very important thing to remember because as I hear people, you know, you can do whatever you want to. That's not grace. That's tolerance. <laughs> that's indifference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we can go too far the other way. So as, as a church, we've talked about denominations for a minute. Let's talk about our church. Do you, do you think we lean too much toward grace or truth? Oh, and the pastor is standing right in front of you. <laughs> I think that you've had a burden on your heart lately in the last year or so to to um, right the ship and make truth a more central part of your preaching and in our lives because I think there were a lot of times when we just assumed that the truth was being proclaimed. Yes. And um, and then the sudden realization that, oh, maybe we need to clarify <laughs> that, yeah. and, and be more direct. And, and that's all... Uh, that Paul is teaching here is that choices matter, truth matters. That yes, we does. cannot go through life just kind of Matthew McConaughey around and Green just light. just hoping that things work out. <laughs> and it's a very uh, it's a huge disservice to uh, the people that we've been called to shepherd 
to, uh, to imply that that's the case. Um, even if we know it's not the case, we need to be implicit that, that choices matter, that truth matters, that the, the things that we decide for ourselves and our families today have long-reaching um, eternal consequences. Yeah. The, the way I would phrase it for our church, and this, and by the way, when, when I proclaim truth, I never want to do it in an angry way. I've, I've heard enough of that. I don't want any more of that. I think the body of Christ needs to have a heart, okay, mm-hmm. and compassion and grace. The body of Christ also needs a backbone <laughs> where there's, there's truth and here's, here's the way it is, not because it's here's what we think, it's here is our best understanding of how the Scripture reveals God and Jesus Christ. So let's uh, let's follow that, um, because in that is freedom. Dave, your thoughts about this church? I think you have... And this is not just about me, it's necessarily. Not about yeah. right. like, it's, it's about our church. So let me Darren, <laughs> tell Darren, you, Darren, Darren, you stink. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, although maybe a shower today? Just kidding. Yeah, maybe. Just oh, kidding. Yeah. Um, in all reality, I, I think... We have worked hard to cultivate a culture of walking that radical middle of both grace and truth in the last year. There are so many people that are comfortable um, as they have come back to church in, in the wake of, of COVID and post-COVID now. Um, they're, they're looking just for their, their sweet spot where they can sit and consume um, or other people who could just dive in quickly. You're trying to walk that fine line between here's the truth but we shouldn't be so comfortable with just the truth that we're checking a bunch of boxes. We've got to love other people and embrace people. It's about both and. It's not about either or. Yeah. And so right now we're in a season where we're trying really hard to walk that radical middle. And, and what, what you'll notice is if, if, you, if you embrace truth, then non-Christians are going to hate you. If you embrace grace, Christians will hate you. Think about that. And, and I'm, I'm saying kind of people on the extreme edges, mm-hmm. right? So if, I think mm-hmm. if you're getting shot at from both sides, you're probably right where you should be, <laughs> okay? And by the way, that's no fun. Uh, I don't think anybody wants that. Now, so I've talked about our denomination, our church. Let's talk about you. And if I were teaching this community group, I would open it up to the individuals to say, where where do you tip? I think individually we all, some people, boy, they're all about the truth, and they need to work that grace muscle a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Other people, they're all about grace. What they need to do is exercise truth a little bit more. So uh, for you guys, where, where do you tend to tip? I, me, I, I'm kind of plain spoken most of the time, where I think I'm become, as I get older, I think I'm more like that. So I think I, I hit truth too hard, and I need to be a little more gracious. Okay, that's, that's me, right? And I, I acknowledge that. Marissa, confess all your sins. Which way? Which way do you tend to tip? <laughs> well, there's both I'm are so necessary. That, both I'm is proud a good that you balance. Had her go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's, it's true. This is what Paul is saying when he gives advice to the church: keep watch over yourselves before you can watch the flock. Yep. Right? Is that where you're headed? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we really have to be careful that we're not on the precipice of going to one side or the other. And I would say, just because of my own background, um, and you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, largely very. Uh, I have a very uh, strong heritage and uh, testimony of being Baptist my whole life and, and having a fantastic family that, that taught me the, the ways of Christ. But culturally, I fall much more to grace, much, much more. So that's been something that I've had to balance out and, and say, so, you know, my natural proclivities uh, and opinions 
hey, they don't always align with the will of God. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> we sometimes disagree. And usually, <laughs> usually, no, wait, all the time, God, <laughs> God's truth is the one that's, that... That's the growth edge. Yeah. That's the growth edge. So I would say that I, I, um, I don't know if you say air, but my proclivity is towards yeah. grace. And I think that's the benefit of serving on a church staff together, because we all, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we have 13 ministers, so we all tip in a little, but we kind of... We correct one another. We self-correct just a bit. Yeah, it's without... the harmony of the body. Right. Yeah. It's and, that iron sharpening iron. And yeah. that should be the case for the whole church. So, Dave, mm-hmm. which way do you tip? I, I Typically, I'll tip more the other way. I'm more of a, a driven type A personality, and so I, I like having all of my ducks in a row, making sure everything is, is going in the right direction. I'm also a little bit of a perfectionist behind the scenes. So, for me... I think there are a lot of times where I need to lean into mercy, lean into grace, and and ask God to inform and guide me, and even season my words with grace. It's a prayer I frequently pray over me, that God would season my words with grace so that when I'm talking, I would come across as more gentle. Dave is one of the nicest guys I know. He's so nice. Dave, you're so nice. Yeah. So he's going he's gonna to be speaking this coming Sunday, and I told him to put on his mean face. I don't know if Dave has a mean face. I'm scared I, of it. So I, yeah. what I told Darren was, I, I quoted I told it, I quoted Tom Cruise in Top Gun, this is the only face I've got. <laughs> only face i got. That's it. So so this goes on, and, and Marissa, you're exactly right. In verse 28, Paul's final words, keep watch over yourselves. Um, and as, as leaders, as community group leaders, you know, need to know where you tip. Talk to your community about this. It's important that we embrace both truth and grace. And then, as you keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds, that means we lead and we feed, which he bought with his own blood. Now, here's one more thing I want to hit, and then we'll finish up. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. There's going to be persecution from outside. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. There's going to be compromise from inside. I mean, there's, there's going to be pressure from inside and outside. So be on your guard. Stick to the whole will of God. And the way I'm interpreting this is no matter what happens in the future, grace and truth ought to be your guide. Remember, for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. By the way, it's the second time he mentioned tears in this passage. This is a very emotional moment for mm-hmm. Paul, and that, that comes across in his words. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I've written this message, usually I can sit down and write a message in about an hour. Um, I'm on hour three right now <laughs> of writing this one. This was this one's a tough one, which tells me that, that it's something. there's something I need to learn before I can teach this well, and I'm still mm-hmm. in the process of that. Hopefully I'll be ready by January 29th. But any closing thoughts on this passage, anything that we've left out that you really want to touch on or you think would be good for our community groups? I would honestly ask the question, what does it really mean to know Jesus, to walk with God? How does that help shape and guide and steer, and how can we as a community group remind each other the value and the significance of what that is? Because there's something about that that Paul is really encouraging the Ephesians, hold on to. This is what I've taught you for three years. This is what I poured into you. It's your turn to pick up the reins and hold on to that. So when temptation comes, when trial comes, that'll be your anchor. So maybe define what that is, what that anchor is. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Marissa, what you got? I think it's really important to remember that we are all called to shepherd one another, not just those that are called vocationally, not just Agreed. those with title mm-hmm. of pastor. 
um, that through the words of Peter um, to Ephesus, through the word, I'm sorry, Paul, and then through the words of Jesus to Paul, to feed his sheep, to tend his sheep, to love them. Um, shepherding is about protecting and nourishing and helping people to grow into maturity for the master. It's not for the glorification of the shepherd. Um, the, the sheep and the flock do not belong to the shepherd. Um, we all belong to the master. Yep. Um, and uh, Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We are trying to help each other and shepherd each other to become fully mature so that we can present ourselves to Christ um, and, and to be of best use to him. Um, and that, that is really, really important. Don't give all the shepherding jobs to those who get paid for it, that it's, it's our responsibility to be our brothers and sisters keepers. Yeah. It cracks me up sometimes when I go see somebody in the hospital and they said, wonder when you're going to get here, you know, so-and-so is here, so-and-so is here, so-and-so was here, so-and-so was here. I was like, great. That's the way it should be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know one, one person can't do it all. And that, that rarely happens. Um, and people value that. Yeah. So, so two closing thoughts. Um, by way of reminder, and Dave, I really appreciate what you said about the checklist. As I mentioned on Sunday, the core, the celebrating God, the offering ourselves in service, reading the scripture and praying, the engaging in community, that is not meant to be a checklist. Oh, if I check all these things off, you know, then I'm, then I'm good with God. We work on those core exercises so we can work from the core. They are a means to an end. So as I strengthen my core, I'm ready to be strong in the Lord and in His power. Okay, so it should never be a checklist, I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you said that because I never want it to devolve into that. Second thing I'll mention, Randy Alcorn's book again, uh, The Grace and Truth Paradox, and uh, it's published by Multnomah. Again, it's a short little book, uh, but, but if you're listening to this podcast, you have time probably to order it and read it uh, before teaching, and there's some great notable quotes, and I'll be leaning heavily on this um, in that message. So... Uh, I think that's it. All right. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep... Brad, do you have anything you want to say? Oh, no, that's the worst. Brad, He's not even recording himself. Oh. Brad, I'll speak for you. He's moved he the said, microphone I'm away not from recording him. myself just, today. Just before we hit record, we talked about when we call, call on somebody at the last minute and they go, oh, I got nothing. And Brad said, I hate it when you call on me at the end. But so. you know what? His thoughts are always really profound and sound like he's really... Uh, thought about it. So. Yeah, <laughs> he always does. And he still has not turned on his microphone. So Brad's got nothing to say there in the recording <laughs> oh, booth. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.